Good afternoon, and welcome to the Sound of Black and Brown. CJ here. I hope you're having a wonderful day. You know, I hope wherever you are, you're happy, you're cool, content, and at peace. Now, I will tell you, uh, what I'm about to say is not for everybody, so I'm going to apologize in advance if I burn your ears. Maybe I hit a note that you didn't want to sing, but that's a story for another time. So today we're going to talk about something that should be considered a basic essential need, should be something that we should not have to worry about, should be something that given the cost of living and the standard of living, we would acknowledge that this has to be provided. And it should be something that after COVID-19, people realize or more specifically, lawmakers realize that we need to ensure that everybody has health care access. I mean, how could you, after all the losses incurred from COVID-19, which should have been a lesson to learn and to realize we can't play with certain things anymore. Healthcare is a human right. Housing security matters. These are not things that we should have to be contemplating now. Job security matters. Melanin matters. We matter. Black and brown women matter. Trans people matter, which we're still having to fight that fight. Well, guess what? Poor people are fed up. You know, in honestly, all honesty, sorry, you know, disability is something that we assume is rare. Right. However, on a global level, at least one in seven adults have some form of disability. Right. And the term itself covers a variety of functional limitations, physical, sensory, mental and intellectual. It could range from mild to severe. It might affect someone at any time across their lifespan from an infant with an intellectual impairment to an older adult who becomes unable to walk or even see, right? Um, but more importantly, more than three decades after the Americans with Disability Act or ADA became a law, disability still remains a cause and consequence of poverty in America, including Connecticut. Now, Going back to the COVID-19 pandemic, which cast a spotlight on the importance of various safety net systems that America had in place, and Medicaid is a prime example. Well, in this context, we're going to just call it Husky. We are in Connecticut, right? Now, as of late 2022, nearly 91 million people um, enrolled Medicaid, right? Um, and there were 19 million new enrollees, sorry, since 2020. Pardon my enunciation there. Um, I'm trying to read off these notes that, of course, I wrote in a language I can't even understand. Now, that enrollment growth is more than 27% in less than two and a half years. So let's pause for a cause right there. I just started off talking about, you know, us recovering from COVID. It's bad enough that the state didn't see the need 
to prepare us to reenter community. It's worse that they don't seem to care if we have housing to live in community. It's horrendous that teachers are being replaced by police, but it's absolutely disgusting that healthcare is still being denied. Why? What? And how is that happening? Well, it's happening because the income and asset limits, which are used to qualify um, individuals to see if they qualify for Husky or Medicaid, has not been increased in over 10 years. Hold on. I hope you're sitting down. 10 years. Think about it. Think about it. What has happened in 10 years? Think about 10 years ago, if you're of that tenure, how much did it cost you to purchase a can of soda? How much was milk? How much was bread? These are all basic, basic, basic things. We're not saying healthy. We just said basic. And the cost of those things, eggs, how, since when eggs became as expensive as caviar? Like, are you serious? Now you have to choose between going to stop and shop to buy eggs or get gas. Like, I, I mean, help me, help me, please. I, I'm trying to figure this out, right? Now, it is fact that disabled people in the United States, which, by the way, Connecticut is part of the United States, just in case people forget that we do have oppression in Connecticut. If anything, it's coddled and it's given life in Connecticut, right? We normalize the oppression here. Anywho, um, you know, disabled people in the United States are more likely to live in poverty due to the discrimination and structural barriers to economic security and upward mobility. What the hell did I just say? Basically, disabled people Specifically, I will say black and brown disabled people, right, elderly people, you know, you name it, anyone who falls in that category, they're going to face these barriers because guess what? Not every workspace has the um, capacity to support someone with a disability. Not every workspace is going to have translation or voice-to-text options or there, you know, any support system for the hair impaired. You might see like a little wheelchair ramp. You might see like, you know, a little elevator here and there, but you're not going to see other things. Like just enough to say, hey, we care about the disabled people. Let's just say that out loud. I mean, if you doubt me, tell me about the last time you walked into Walmart and seen one of the Walmart associates walking around with a walker. You're not going to see that. Tell me about the last time you see someone with an intellectual um, or mental impairment, right, working at a bank. You're not going to see that. Um, there are only certain jobs that, you know, depending on your level or the extent of your disability, uh, forgive me if I phrase that incorrectly, um, you may or may not be able to function in certain capacities. So your your job options are already limited, Right. So entertain me if we shall. Um, so imagine having your disability. So let's pretend your disability was a mobility disability, right? So you had bad leg. So you have this leg and, you know, this leg is chronically impaired. You can't put weight on it. The doctor said, look, man, you got you to gotta do something sitting down. So that's your barrier number one. You're limited to jobs where you have to sit. 
Now, let's pretend added to that, you're a veteran um, and you have PTSD or maybe you're post-incarcerated. I don't know. Or maybe none of those apply to you. You just, you know, had an impairment that developed over time. Maybe you were in an accident. So now you have to find work with your bad knee and you have to be specific off the cuff. Your um, capacity mentally and everything else, your creativity doesn't matter. You first have to start your job search looking for something where you could actually sit most of the time. So then you find out that due to your impairment, that you have PTSD, which has led to anxiety and other things that you now have to seek assistance for, meaning to help you manage it, help you manage your anxiety, or maybe, you know, you're very doubtful of yourself, whatever the case may be. So now you have something mental and physical. So now you have to look for a job where you can sit down and it won't stress you out. So now you can't have jobs that are fast-paced. You need something that's a little slower, a little, you know, less um, involved perhaps, maybe more focused. Maybe you could, you know, fold things all day or put things up here all day, things like that. But what I'm trying to draw your attention to is look at how two impairments lessens your job opportunities just like that. Now, if you don't have a job, unless you know a secret, I don't know, how the hell are you going to pay your bills, Right. So now you have limited mobility, limited capacity, limited job options, and guess what all that all comes with? You guessed it, limited income. So with your limited everything and anything, you now have to cope with life as everything else in life increases. You have to make it work with this limitation, this limitation that surrounds you wherever you go, right? Now, according to the United States Census Bureau, in 2019, over 20% of disabled people were considered to be poor under the census's supplemental poverty measure, compared with just over 10% of people without disabilities. In fact, black and brown disabled people in America face even greater economic disparities and rates of poverty and hardship than white, pe white disabled people due to the compounding effects of structural as well as cultural ableism, and you guessed it, racism. In 2020, one in four disabled black adults in America lived in poverty while just over one in seven of their white counterparts did so according to data from the current population survey, Annual Social and Economic Supplement for 2014 to 2021. Now, all of that to say, at the end of it, black and brown people, through the gate, we already have obstacles. First obstacle, your skin tone. You add a disability up there. You just add another obstacle. You know, the access to resources and opportunity just keeps going smaller and smaller and smaller, right? Then COVID happens. So aside from the fact that you're really grappling with all these different things, because if you remember life before COVID, we were actually very, very fast-paced. Um, we got so fast-paced, we, we said to hell with the um, weekend. We could work every day of the week, right? We decided that it was a great idea to keep stores open later. We said, you know, it's okay for everybody and anybody to have a gun. You know, we had no problem with anything. 
these were all okay things. People could hoard what they want. They could keep what they want. Wealth rules, right? And so this type of asset management, who can, who can't have. Then COVID happens. And then there's mass losses around the world. You would think after COVID that lawmakers would say, high, high, high on our priority list. We have to ensure people have health care, housing, jobs, and food. One, two, three, four. Right? Let's figure out a way where we could make this all happen. Now, the jobs should be up there because with COVID, a lot of people, if you didn't have access or if your job did not have um, the capacity for you to go remote, more than likely you had to seek another job or you had to figure out how to survive until you found something or you just had to eat the loss or you didn't even know the loss was happening. They got rid of your department and sent you home or they just sent you home because they figured listen, if we're doing survival of the fittest, I'm going to get ready to kick your ass off the boat now so I can save that paycheck for me later. Bottom line is, businesses around the world were scrambling left, right, and center figuring out how to survive. Some businesses were able to find ways to continue going, and they were successful. Some businesses were born during COVID, and some businesses shut down. Now, while all of that is happening, right, what about the disabled people? What about the disabled black and brown people? Remember, or in case you forgot, I should say, they were, big surprise here, the most neglected when it came to the vaccination. How did that happen? Because if you recall, when the powers that be decided they'll give people access to the vaccine, that didn't exactly mean that they meant that you get, you know, special treatment of any way, shape, or form. If anything, it's quite the opposite. If anything, it's more so like, well, to each their own, right? You figure it out. You know we have vaccines going on over here. You figure it out. You get there. So various people, including myself, took it upon ourselves to advocate for these folks. And what we would do is we would demand that these different sites had wheelchair access, Language access, you know, accessibility is key. So you would think from coming out of that, why are we in 2023? Why are we talking about income and asset limits? Did we not learn a lesson? Did we not see that with COVID, you know, the fact that this thing came, saw, and destroyed? And not only that, but it left a lot of people impoverished. And a lot of people couldn't afford health care. Like COVID proved that. COVID showed you right in your face what the cost of healthcare looks like, who could afford it, and who can't. Simple as that. Now, you would think with all of that combined, that would be enough, that would be sufficient, that would be traumatizing enough. But somehow, in good old Connecticut, for reasons that make absolutely no sense to me, especially since in good old Connecticut, we claim to be so progressive. We claim to care about diversity, equity, inclusivity. Why is this so hard to give healthcare access to immigrants? And why is it so hard to raise the income and asset limits so that our elderly and disabled and all of who it applies to do not have to spend down their life savings just to get Healthcare access. Do you even wonder 
or know about the number of people who are probably missing out on doctor appointments, including, you know, getting their eyes checked, you know, a little physical, nothing too intricate, just a physical, even having access to a doctor to get primary care, you know, anything. Like, for example, you know, how many people are really taking care of their asthma, right? People underestimate the impact of asthma, which is really sad, really, really sad. It's quite, um, it's a hell of a thing. Like today, I'm asthmatic, right? I have asthma and I have sinusitis and I have severe allergies and I'm supposed to take a monthly shot that will help me declog, for lack of a better word. And right now, I'm behind on my shot, and I'm sitting next to an open window. My eyes are watering. I really want to go outside and play, but I know that if I do that, I'll probably come back home sneezing and itching and everything else, right? Now, I also see someone to address my symptoms, receive medication, receive prescription. When I go in, they check my height, my weight, my heart, all of that good stuff, and the medication that I have to take, it's not exactly $50. It's not $100. I mean, this thing is up there. If I didn't have health insurance, I mean, for years I didn't have it. And I didn't even know what I was missing out on. And I would show up to work looking like who did it and why because, you know, my nose is always stuffy. I'm coughing all over the place. And I can't seem to decongest for whatever reason. So if that was my experience, and we're in 2023, and we have all this technology, and we could take all these different pictures and send all these different things all over the place. How come we cannot see why healthcare should be for all? Why is it so hard to give people healthcare access? And why did we turn our medical system into a profit system? Why did we do that? How much do we not care about humanity? Okay. You know, I mean, and then to sit here and to know that there are people walking around who have no job, no access to health care, don't even barely have somewhere to stay, and y'all don't even change the income limits. So even if they have like a little job that they get here and there, they won't qualify because according to the antiquated asset and income limits, their income is too high. Let me run that again. The problem here in Connecticut, we have income and asset limits that are way too low compared to what the standard of living, in other words, how we afford to live the way that we live, how we, you know, what we have access to, how we spend our money, what we engage in, all of those factors and more contribute to our standard of living, where we live, how we live, you know, the things we participate in, you know, things like that. And and all of this depends on access to these, you know, to these various things. How do you get access? Well, to have a decent standard of living, at least you need a livable wage. We don't even have, we barely have that. And even if we have the wage established, we don't have the jobs, right? We have a lot of people still looking for work, still unemployed, still underemployed. We have a lot of working poor people, working poor is when you're working, you're bringing home a paycheck, which you cannot, cannot afford the cost of living. Now, what's your cost of living? The cost of living, as the name implies, is what it costs you to survive. So what you're paying in rent, 
what you're paying for insurance, what you're paying for your car, if you have a car that you, you know, whatever that is, your alimony, the food, all of it, all of it, your utilities, all of it. That's your cost of living. Um, that's what you, that's your bill to survive in America. Now, $35,000 sounds maybe like a lot of money, but it really isn't when you consider the ever-increase in rent amounts and even the mortgage amounts. When you consider the price of gas, when you consider the price of eggs, it's not a lot of money. And then if you didn't even, in fact, wait, let me let me dial that back. Not then if. We didn't even count health insurance yet, did we? We didn't even add that in. So now you add all of that in. Say you have a job and they offer health insurance, right? Should you keep their insurance or should you see if you could stay or you qualify for something through Husky? Most people did the latter because a lot of these work insurances are really costly. They're not cheap. And even though you're paying all that premium, you still have to pay a copay. Or meet a, and or meet a deductible, right? So it's like a lose-lose situation. So even if you want to do the work insurance and you don't have to worry about, you know, all these different pieces of paperwork the state want to f- have you fill out 15,000 times, you still have the hassle of carrying the burden on your back. If anything, during COVID, a lot of people um, came to terms with the fact that they could not afford health insurance in America. And um, actually, consequence and... We're still in COVID, in my opinion. Till now, you know, they decided they don't want to have health insurance because even when they went on the Husky website to apply, thinking, oh, well, you know, I don't really have money. All I have is my house and my retirement money or my little piece of savings. Guess what? When they filled out that part with the income, according to our income, our current income and asset limits, they were still over. How the hell did that happen? Well, this is where we need your help. We need folks to really reach out to their lawmakers and challenge this. How could you sit here and allow healthcare discrimination after COVID? How? Really? Seriously? Isn't that like genocide, really, when you think about it? Watching people die in front of you? Yeah? Mass murder? Yeah? That's what it seems like. You would think that, you know... With all that's going on, like I said, shouldn't healthcare, shouldn't we have learned that from COVID, the importance of healthcare? But no, the lawmakers seem oblivious. In fact, even though in this legislative session that we're in right now, we propose these changes, we're saying raise those income limits, raise it, because the truth of the matter is the number that you're using to ascertain who qualifies for what is not realistic. And it's discouraging people from even bothering to get health care. There's so many people probably walking around with ailments and illnesses that they don't care about from not getting their teeth, uh, their cavities removed, or fillings done, not getting their eyes checked, not, not figuring out what's that weird pain in their back, or why it hurts when they sit a certain way, or how come they could hear through one ear and not the other. All these things are going to the wolves. Why? Because people cannot afford the access. And when you can't afford the access, you're not going to be able to engage. Or if you don't have access, I should say, how could you engage in the opportunity? So here we are, Connecticut, right? 
right here in Connecticut in 2023. Don't forget, Connecticut claims to be about diversity, equity, and inclusivity. Let me tell you something else. Pay attention to all these different groups that are so concerned about health care. Our representation as black and brown people matters. It matters. Okay? As a friend said to me, less discrimination is still discrimination. Let me rewind that. Less discrimination is still discrimination. And everything I just described there is discrimination. When jobs are not being handicapped or disability accessible, that's a blatant disrespect to the ADA. What was the point of passing the ADA if all you go and do is put up a sign and say, well, if you need help walking up the stairs, I'll help you. Or if you need help filling out that form, I'll help you. Um, here's, here's this other sheet. You know, it has to be real support. That's why that law was passed, but it's being treated like a check mark. What's the point of saying you're all about diversity, inclusivity, and equity if, you know, during the public hearing sessions, you know, the legislative sessions, I should say, we still don't have interpreters. We still don't have proper language access, meaning we don't have interpreters. We don't have anybody doing sign language. Whether you're in person or on Zoom, it's a problem. And then when you bring it up, the legislators, the legislators who, by the way, or shall we say lawmakers, I don't know if you knew this, but you're the ones who put these people in office. Therefore, you should also be the ones holding them accountable. These are not things that should be asked for. These are things that should have already been in process. Okay? This should not be, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. No, this should have been something that's already in place. 2023 we're in. We have all these different versions of iPhone. We have all these different T's and all these different things and the internet does this and the this does that. Yet, state agencies still don't talk to each other. So if I go to DSS to apply for something, I still have to go down to the Department of Labor to collect my paperwork and I got to go over to whatever other agency to collect the supporting documents, bring it back and apply. It's not like people show up and it's done for them. So I just want to nullify that belief that seems to be reemerging. I don't think it ever died, that people seem to believe that anyone who's receiving any type, any sort of state-funded assistance, including health care, you know, they're stigmatized. You know, they have to be the worst of the worst. They have to be horrible people who don't work. They're using some sort of something or... They're mentally unwell, you know, they're just the, the worst, the worst, the worst of the community. And that's not true. You know, if anything, COVID should have highlighted exactly who needs help and how many people who need help. How many people need to be lost? How many of us need to go to funerals and attend all these different things to, to remember and talk about and acknowledge COVID before we say, Healthcare is a human right, and everybody, including our undocumented people, deserve healthcare access. Let's talk about our undocumented people. It's a funny thing how uh, a lot of people drink the milk and, you know, enjoy the tomatoes and all the other fruits and vegetables or the clean bathrooms, or, you know, um, they enjoy having someone to care for their children or clean their houses. But somehow in all of this, we don't seem to believe, you know, undocumented people, immigrants deserve health care. Are you serious? 
Are you serious? I I don't I don't get it. Make help me figure this out. Make it make sense, as Elise says. Why why is that happening? Are you serious? But it's happening, and it's happening right here in Connecticut, and it, it's normalized. You know, I don't know if you knew this, but discrimination in Connecticut it is normalized. As long as you have the white people doing the white things, it's all okay. It's okay to have black and brown people underrepresented in leadership. It's okay to have major coalition of people, meaning on the state level, um, you know, meeting up to discuss and talk about the budget or the program or what we're going to do next. You know, you would think after COVID, we would know that only having certain hands involved is not the right move. It's not. Because so many people paid for it. So many people are still not getting health care access because of what, you know, they saw happen in COVID. They figure if you didn't care about me then, what are you going to care about me now for, right? But what are we going to do about it, okay? Again, our lawmakers claim to be so progressive, um, you know, <laughs> I, I don't even know how to say it. So all about the people, yet our representation is not there, right? There's no sort of real demand for us to be seen. Again, we should hold the media accountable, the local media, because they do a good job of focusing on the white things at the white times, right? And in doing that, they take away from all the other great things that are happening right around us. But we would never know or see or hear that because it's not highlighted, you know. A lot of our media in this state is still very conservative and very Republican-esque. Why? Because as, I, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to tell you all. We have some Democrats um, who, in my opinion, they might as well just come through the gates and say, you know, hey, I'm a closeted Republican. I'm not really a damn I just like to show up to the meetings and it sounds good, but my ideals fall in line with the Republican platform. I hate to give them credit, but here's the thing about the Republicans. No matter what, they stick together. We don't. They do. When I say we, I'm referring to anyone who claims to be a Democrat because we could, you know, as we say back home, Malt could talk, you know, people could say, Anything, right, is what they do that really matters. And in this case, right, we have so many things right here in Connecticut. We really could be way more self-sufficient in state and take care of ourselves. But the level of ego and agenda, greed, basically all the master's tools in this state is so high. The division is so high. Segregation is happening anywhere. And everywhere, right? Why? Because again, survival of the fittest. And guess who they don't think or they don't want to survive? Again, you would think after COVID, lawmakers would say, yes, we have to increase that income and asset limit. Otherwise, so many people will go without coverage. You would think lawmakers would recognize the housing insecurity in the state and say, We've got to do something about the house and diaspora. 
We have to do something about it. We cannot continue allowing people to be homeless. And let me remind you, there are different versions of homelessness. Homelessness could be living in a car, moving house to house, couch to couch, friend to friend, relative to relative, finding jobs that provide housing, right? In fact, right now, four in 10 disabled people are struggling to afford their rent. And in 2021, nearly 40% of renters with any disability experience housing insecurity struggling to pay their rent compared to the national average of 25%. See that intersectionality there? You see that? Right? So don't think that this is a problem in a bubble, right? When you do not address an asset limit, and let me just pause right there because I, I, I put the cart behind the horse, or however that goes, in front of the horse? In front of the horse, yeah, whoops. I put the cart in front of the horse instead of behind it. Let me just dial myself back. Here's the thing. It's very expensive to be poor in Connecticut. The problem only worsens when you're not someone who was born into or has privilege or has wealth. Okay? The wealth disparities in the state are very, very high. There are various methods of gatekeeping and gaslighting that happens to prevent black and brown people from actually blooming. Why? For some reason in here in Connecticut, the white people seem to be scared to see us rise. They claim to be progressive, but they really only want us to progress to a certain point. I say that to say, look at what just happened last week in New York. Donald Trump was in New York for his arraignment. And the white people in New York said, get out of here, racist. We don't want you here. You are not welcome here. They got up and they stood up and they said, we're not entertaining you. I will dare say Donald Trump could come and go to Milford Mall and people will be okay with that. They'll be perfectly fine. How do I know that with such confidence? Because years ago, a relative of mine wore an Obama mask to the mall. And really, they were just trick-or-treating. Trick no, no harm, no fall. And when they went into different stores, the responses varied. Some people didn't allow them in the store. Some people checked to see if it was a prank. Some People even said, you know, we don't feel comfortable with that in here. You know, they made those little statements before seeing that this person was with their caregiver. And guess what? The caregiver was not having it. Okay. It's an Obama mask. It's Halloween. This is a kid who's trick-or-treating. Get your shit together. This was not that far long ago. This was like we're talking, I'd say, about 10, 12, not even that long, eight years ago. Something like that, probably a little more. The point being, that happened right here in Connecticut at Milford Mall. In comparison to New York, I'm pretty sure Donald Trump could come to the New Haven court and walk around and not one white person will say a damn thing. Why am I so confident? I'll give you another reason. Because on jobs, right, on the job, white people will see other white people doing very discriminatory things. And not just white people will see themselves. But the black and brown leaders who allow it will watch it happen. They'll watch white people, you know, just 
abuse their privilege from paying us less, scrutinizing us more, using our work as examples on what not to do, embarrassing us publicly with their little snide statements here and there, you know, overworking us, underpaying us, expecting us to be good with everything and complain about nothing. You're not doing a good job if you start to realize you need more help and support. Now you're a problem. Now they find ways to get rid of you. And they have their ways of doing it. See, the racism in this state is so normalized. It's a way of life. To the point that people, white people, will obnoxiously say, I care about this and I care about that, but let me be the one to represent it. I'll figure out. And they'll make sure to take care of each other. And they'll promote each other. And they'll do the best job they can do to prevent the people who will actually speak up and speak out from being part of that round table. Does that sound like diversity, inclusivity, or equity to you? doesn't to me. Here's what I know. Differences is how you create the change. If we all agree on everything and we all say that it's all the same, like what you feel and what I feel is the same, and we all say, okay, you know, it's okay, don't worry about it. I agree with this. Yeah, no, we don't need more investment in that. We just nod and smile, nod and smile, nod and smile. Then what changes? Will we get highways built? Will we get schools constructed? Will we get jobs? Will we get access? Will we get opportunity? The answer is no. Would we have gotten the ADA law without differences. The whole reason why we have the laws that we have to empower people is built on the difference. Okay? It's the difference between who has access versus who does not. So why do all that work and then let it all fall apart? Which is what is basically happening now. Right? My question to you all is how much more are we going to be denied before we realize, hey, we really don't have diversity, equity, or inclusivity here? No, we don't. Are we progressing or are we regressing? Let's not forget that Connecticut was a red state for a very long time. Very long time. What comes along with that is certain cultural and structural norms that have been allowed, encouraged, and invested into for too long, including knowing that the income asset, income and asset limit in our state is very, very low. And let me tell you something, that income and asset limit, it not only affects your health care, but it is the metric that basically decides what type of assistance, if any, you qualify for. That could be anything from heating assistance to rental assistance, right, food assistance. This is the number when you go in to apply for assistance. This is the number that the case manager or whomever you're talking to is referencing when deciding what do you qualify for, if anything, and to what degree. So if you think this number is un, is not important, you probably have the privilege not to worry about it, or you probably just don't know. Now, 
if the number of people requesting assistance has sharply increased and if the amount of income in circulation has decreased, why, oh why, do we feel like none of this has to change? When I say income in circulation, yes, people are working jobs, but they're probably not making as much, if any, more or less. You know, say you're employed, did your paycheck really go up after COVID? Probably not. And if it did, it probably was temporary. Or maybe you're lucky and you did get a significant boost, right? The income uh, in circulation I'm referencing is whatever monies you made that went right back into community. So if we all get out of COVID and you're still making the $18 that you was barely making before COVID, but then the price of eggs is twice as much as before, milk is twice as much as before, gas just decides to be as high as it wants to be, you know, how are you supposed to survive like that? And we didn't even touch rent yet. Remember, we don't have any uh, rent control here. We don't have a rent freeze, right? So now you go with your little Burger King check that you're making. You're working your 40 hours. You're making like probably like I'd say I'm going to throw out a number. It's probably not correct, but we'll just use it for this. I'm just trying to give a decent enough guesstimate. After taxes, which is a whole other a whole other thing, right? Because when you apply for assistance, it's based on your income before taxes, which is incorrect. Because I don't know where you've been at, but taxes are kind of high out here. So my livable income, what I'm using to survive, is not my gross amount. It's my net amount after my taxes. At least take off my damn taxes, man. At least give me credit for that. We don't even get that. So you have to go in there with your little Burger King check. You're probably making like, we'll just say, Seven seven fifty a week, right? So that's what seven fifty, fifteen hundred, three thousand a month. Boom. Then you gotta go pay rent. Then you gotta go buy food. Then you gotta go pay insurance for your car. Three quarters of your checks just left, just like that. It's gone. Bye. Just like that. You didn't even. I don't know how you're gonna pay your light bill. And I hope your doctor doesn't give you a prescription because if you have to pay for that, that's gonna suck. Now, if that's your limitation as a working person, what do you think happens when you get older? Now, as you get older, you just work, you acquire all this, um, you know, income, whatever you got, whatever that is, you have your little savings set aside. But while you were working, you also paid into what should be your Social Security, right? So you decide, okay, I, I can retire now. I have enough Social Security to live off of. But then you get hit with, you got to evaluate your medical be- your be- medical benefit because now you're collecting Social Security. And this part always tickles me because it's funny to me how the state agencies will know that something happened to affect your standard of living. Like they'll say, we, we uh, are aware of or it was brought to our attention or we noticed a recent change to your income. But yet, for reasons that they can't even explain, They'll tell you all of this, but they can't access the information they ask you to provide. In other words, they'll say, can you, um, you know, can you, you know, um, survive? Like, they'll say, like, you know, they just leave you in a, I don't even know how to word this thing. <laughs> this, this thing is so ridiculous to me. Like, I just lost my thought there or not because it's just like I, my brain is going like 50 miles a minute with this because I don't know if people get it and they need to get it because this affects you too. Imagine you working all this time, 
and you saved up your money, you're thinking, aha, I could take a break and I could relax. And then you go apply for health care. And then they say, oh, you didn't even apply for the health care yet. You start getting your Social Security. Then you get a love letter from your health insurance saying, oh, we see that you're collecting Social Security. So now your income's going, your uh, premium's going to go up. Then you start getting more and more letters like that. What the hell are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? Please, 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 please tell me. What are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to? I don't know if you've noticed this yourself, but if you go to like Walmart, like, uh, you know, Stop and Shop, Walmart in particular, those stores, you know, uh, what the the general stores maybe we'll call those, the convenience stores, I don't even know. Um, my point is, if you go to the stores, who do you see work in the morning shift? I, I believe I brought this up to you all before. And I brought that up because when you see who's working the morning shift, it tells the story. It tells the story. It's mostly, I mean, this is me talking. Don't come for me. I don't know where you shop at, but I could tell you. I could go to Walmart tomorrow. I could go to Walmart in Hamden tomorrow. I'll be more specific. I could go there between 7 and 10 a.m. any day of this week, and I would see at least one person over the age of 55 on the job, at least one person. My point is, my friends, the working population age has also shifted, amongst other things, right? We're seeing our older folk re-entering the workforce because they have to. Because if they don't do that, how are they going to survive, right? They're being told, hey, listen, if you have Husky, we need you to spend your money down or else we can't help you. And even when they do spend down, <laughs> you think they're getting a ton of help? No, they're not. And if you think this is something, the Husky Sea expansion, if you're thinking, oh, this is so the white people could live better. Guess what? Black and brown people work hard and they pay into their Social Security too. They should not have to be worrying about putting their house on the market or figuring out what pills they are not going to purchase or figuring out which one of their relatives they're going to shack up with, right, just to survive. And my people, that's where we're at. So my question to you is, are you going to sit here and and allow this to go on? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to pick up your phone or go to the cga.ct.gov website, look up your lawmakers and reach out to them? I think you should. I think you need to. Because if you think this is not going to affect you, you're probably one of the people who it is going to affect. You think we knew that um, COVID was going to do what it was going to do? Did you think that we were going to survive COVID? Is that what it is? And yes, we survived. Is this how we should be living consequently? Why is it so hard for our lawmakers to realize and accept we need to increase this Husky income and asset limit? We need the Husky Sea expansion. It has to happen. Why are we okay with having undocumented people and immigrants and refugees work for us. I mean, work, like hard work, you know. And we feel like they don't deserve health care. So do you see the hypocrisy there? 
come here and take care of my business and my house and whatever else. But who cares about yours? Is that what COVID taught you to do? do you, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about knowing, especially after what happened in Tennessee last week, where the two Jasons got attacked and thrown out, just like that, for getting up and standing up for what they believe in because they don't feel we should be okay with no gun control. And I agree with that. I think that America invests a lot in its violence and not enough in its care. And a prime example of that is what is happening right here, right now in Connecticut with the Husky Sea expansion, right? Or I should say what is not happening. We should not in 2023 be having this conversation. And we should not have to wait till next session for it to be resolved because this is a long session, which means that next year, by this time, we would have already sealed the deal, said, okay, these are the bills that we are pushing forward. These are the ones we're signing on. Come on, man. First, they decided to study racism. Now they decided to study rent. Why the fuck aren't you all studying how to fix the problem? Why? Why don't you study how to, you know, afford people the ability to live instead of gatekeeping and gaslighting? How about you put the energy you put into gatekeeping and gaslighting and all that work you all put into ensuring that only the white people get the white acknowledgement and the white uh, space and position and everything? Put that energy into empowering everybody, especially our black and brown people. Put that energy into making sure that we have health care access, food access, jobs are there. Put that energy there. Because I don't know about you all, but I don't see the progress here. I think we're digressing. I think, I think, you know, I don't know what else to tell you. Like, I, I don't know how people can't see what's going on. I'm generally dumbfounded. Like, like I said just now, I got lost in my own thought there for a second because I could see the disparity. What I don't see is us saying enough is enough. What I don't see is us demanding, okay, so you're able to afford your medical care. How would you feel to find out that your grandmother dying and all of this could have been prevented if she had access to medical care, which she would have qualified for if she didn't have to spend on all her assets? Why should she have to get rid of what she earned just to qualify? How does that make sense? That doesn't make sense to me. Come on. Come on. It doesn't make sense to me, especially when the income and asset limits that are being used to decide how much she should spend down to qualify or what her income should be at for her to qualify. Do you realize what that causes people to do? Do you realize that it's causing people to sell their houses, um, move out of the place that they've known for the last 20 years, um, go back to work and work amongst younger, more agile, probably a little snippy people. Do you, do you know what that must feel like for them? Do you know what it must feel like while they're working to see someone their age rolling around in one of those little wheelchair um, go-karts, I call them, the mobile wheelchairs? Do you know? Do you know what that must feel like? Do you know what it must feel like when they get home from work and they put their feet up and they're like, man, I worked all these years to say I'm going to retire someday, but they can't even enjoy their retirement. That could be you too. 
Because if the lawmakers are not going to change the income and asset levels now, why would they at all? You tell me. Answer that question for me. And if they care so much about the people, and if they're supposed to be Democrats, because I know about you all, but the fact that we have to study racism, now we got to study rent. I guess we all got to go to school, right? Now you're telling me that you're not going to update antiquated income and asset levels? Help me understand what's going on here. Tell me how that is not oppressive behavior. Show me the democracy in that behavior because Connecticut claims to be so democratic and I, I'm finding it hard to believe in various ways, shapes, and, and forms. You know, um, we don't even care about, you know, opening up access to public office. You know, we don't care about that. We don't care about the fact that a lot of black and brown people do not run for office because they financially cannot afford to. Why? Because the bar is set that high. Or how about the fact that a lot of black and brown people do not become teachers or clinicians because the certification process is such that it um, it conflicts with their work schedule. So it's either you go to work or you go to school, and they don't have the ability to do that. Or they don't qualify for education, or they feel, I should say, or they don't think they could pursue certain things because they're so used to the barriers. Listen, you might not think this Husky C expansion affects you right now, and that's a problem by itself, because I hope by the time you're at that point, it doesn't affect you. I genuinely wish that for you. I can tell you from personal experience, it's heartbreaking when I see seniors struggling to figure out their bills. It's heartbreaking when they get that bill, like what also happened this year, because all, the, you know, everything went up, including deductibles. And a lot of seniors decided, well, if this is what I have to pay, then why have it? Disabled people not having the access, no, no, nobody to help them figure out these different things. They're, they're trying to have to deal with life as it comes. And, you know, again, they're kind of like in the corner in the dark by the cobwebs, so nobody really cares that they're there. That's just a figure of speech. Um, but the point is, is that it happens. Why are we allowing this discrimination here. When are we going to stop normalizing white supremacy in Connecticut? You tell me. Enlighten me. Enlighten me. Because let me tell you something. I pay a price for doing what I do. I do. And I know it. And they could say what they want, the they being the people who do it. But I know they do it. See, when people like me, black and brown people like me, get up and stand up and speak up and speak out, the domino effect of that is the gaslighting, the gatekeeping, right? The behavior that follows that to control the slave. I'll tell you it like this. Oh, one of our slaves was out of control. Whipper. Make sure she doesn't keep that job. Make sure. Get rid of her on that job. Fuck up her income so she's stressed out about that. So she doesn't feel motivated to be involved anymore. You know what? Go pierce a hole in her tire, too, so she can't go nowhere. That didn't work either. Drop something on her windshield. These are things that happen and have happened. Oh, wait. Troll her on social media. Oh, wait. That doesn't, that's not doing nothing. What's her home line? Call her home line. Troll her there. Okay? See, when we get trolled and we get harassed and we get discriminated against in Connecticut, we're supposed to take it with a smile and keep it moving. It's nice to see other states don't do that. 
Now, that's that's one version of discrimination. Don't think that that doesn't mean healthcare discrimination is not real. We're seeing it right here, right now, and we're seeing it through the lack of interest from lawmakers to increase the income and asset limits. And my question to you is, how much longer are you going to continue supporting white supremacy? All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to my little uh, speech there, shall we call it, my discussion. I don't know. We'll figure out a word. Thanks for being patient as I describe my thoughts and understanding as I shared them. And I hope you see that we could do this. We can be that change that we talk about. We could actually put meaning to the words that we say. We could actually have diversity, inclusivity, and equity in the state. Sorry for the mispronunciations, too. But my point is, we could have progress and mean it here. We just have to do that. And you could be part of that, too. Reach out to your lawmaker. It doesn't have to be a perfect conversation. It just has to be one. And just remember, differences is how we change things. What would change if we all remained the same, right? Now, if you're interested in hearing more about Black and Brown United in Action, or you want to view all episodes of The Sound of Black and Brown, or you're just curious about what we do, Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And I hope you like, share this podcast, and you tune in next time. That's all I have for now. Fist up, smile on. Peace. TJ.